Let's turn together to Luke chapter 7. This morning I'd like to begin a series that will go over the next uh, next four Sundays, so it will parallel the 30 days of prayer. And I want to focus in on on this this right here, on the, the corporate worship gathering. Um, right now, all around the world, um, it's... You know, it's not obviously it's not Sunday morning everywhere at the same exact time, but there are saints gathered all over, uh, all over the place, in sanctuaries, in people's homes. Um, some that are gathered in hiding. You know, that's it's it's just constantly happening. The people of God are coming together to worship the Lord. And I just want to take the next couple of weeks as we're praying th- through the 30 days and we're praying prayers of gratitude and praise to the Lord for us to really continue to learn and to deepen our understanding of what we do when we're together. Um, I know that uh, a lot of you come from church backgrounds, and so it's uh, not everyone, but a lot of you do, that, that going to a worship service is not a new, you know, new thing for you by any means. Um, when uh, I, I grew up, like like a lot of you, I, oh, I grew up. Oh, I grew up at Zor Baptist, and so some of you know exactly exactly where Zor is. And and I I have always loved like the church service. Um, I didn't always like getting up or, to go to church and that kind of stuff. But like once we were there, like I just always liked the service. And I was telling the first service, like as I was thinking about like remembering like as a child like i liked everything about it for some reason like i liked the fact that everyone's kind of murmuring in the room and then the way that you knew it was time to start is that zor uh all the deacons like filed in single file line and came across the front and sat on the front row and that was like the signal and so they came in and then at Zor, the choir would come in from the two different entrances back there, and they would begin to file in as the worship leader was welcoming everyone, and they just had it like timed perfectly with this big, glorious downbeat of the call to worship. You know, I liked that. I was like, "That's this is awesome." Um, I liked the 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 singing of hymns. I liked introducing new songs. I liked the choir specials. I like the fact that there was special music, and so sometimes it'd be like a random quartet of people that would sing, or sometimes it was like uh, it was like that lady who was you're like whatever she's singing, it's going to have a high note at the end, and she's going to go for it. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I loved all that, all that stuff. Um, I loved having, uh, I loved the the sermons. I loved illustrations. We had a great, great pastor. And so I can still tell you some of his the stories that he would tell and the points that he would make. He was fantastic. Uh, I loved um, the the reason why the deacons came in is then it was time to take up the offering, and they had this like brilliant way to break down the sanctuary. It was very efficient as the special music was going on, and there was always a deacon who would pray before that. And I loved the fact that depending on who the deacon was, I knew what their their prayer catchphrase was, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I remember, uh, brother Robinson, when he prayed, he would say our heavenly father and me and my friend, uh, me and my, my friends, Dan and Matt would count how many times he said our heavenly father in his prayers, not the most godly thing, but we were like 14. So it's fine. Uh, and, um, we would, at the end we would compare notes to see if we had the same number, you know, I loved it. I loved knowing, knowing where Mr. Watts, he sat over here and Miss Denham who had, uh, 
butterfly pins every week. She sat back there and you knew when people were absent because their like uh, their like unofficial saved seats were empty, that kind of thing. Um, I love the fact that there were people who I only saw on Sundays, you know, and you looked forward to seeing them and you missed them when they weren't there. Um, I love to hear the room sing. I love to hear the room pray. I'd, everything about it, as even as a young child, I, I was just into it. And and some of that may may be because God was has wired me to do that. You know, I don't know, but I just can remember um, just thinking it was it was awesome. And when I was nineteen, I got asked to go lead the lead the singing, if I re- remember the phrase correctly, at a little church in Pride. And uh, that kind of became a little job for me when I was 19 for like a year and a half, I think. And so I found myself going from someone who uh, was a participant in worship services my whole life to then having to plan them. And I started to realize that there's a lot more that goes, that goes into planning a service than I had ever really you know, noticed before. Um, and from that point, really until this point, <clears throat> like, the gathering of God's people has been something that I have uh, had the privilege of leading and putting together and dreaming up different different ways, uh, whether it's a Sunday or it's like a special, like an Ash Wednesday or a Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, those kinds of things, lessons and carols, that kind of stuff. Um, I just really, I just get into it. And uh, I feel like it's been a journey for me of kind of morphing in my understanding of what we do and I think that's a part of being a lifelong learner, like I was talking about last week, to be teachable and to be humble, uh, that no matter how long you've been going to church and gathering with God's people, that there's always more for us to learn. And so uh, that's what I hope we can do in the next next couple of weeks is maybe let God keep teaching us more and more about what we do when we're together. Um, so where does this all even come from, you know? Like, worship is something that you see in, like, in every culture throughout time. There's, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like there's, like, this divine creator who created us all to have this idea that there's something bigger than me, you know? It shows up everywhere in all these different modes and forms. Um, if we were to jump specifically into the ancient Near East, uh, where like the, like the, con- the context of the scriptures, uh, you see this in all the surrounding nations around Israel. This this idea that that to worship is to it is to bow down before something or someone. It is to humble yourself to recognize that something or someone is greater than you. Uh, to get really narrow into what it means to be the people of God, God is the someone who is greater greater than us. Um, we see all kinds of, of customs where a, a king would a, a king would like would be walking through somewhere and people would kneel or they would bow or they would not look him in the face that kind of thing because there's this reverence that's there. Uh, there are times when there is not only a, a bowing down but like a, a kissing of the feet or the ground that he has walked on or trying to kiss the hem of the robe of the king, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, this is all very commonplace in the, in the, the times of the scriptures. And so for the people of God to be worshipers, uh, in part was, was like them connecting to a way that God has created us all to be. Um, but it's trying to find like who, who is worthy of all those things. 
is a is a human king really worthy of that? You know, um, in this and other parts of the world, you know, there were times they would worship they would worship the river or the moon. You know, those kinds of things. All these created people, places, and things. Someone bowing in reverence to something that was created, and yet when it comes to being the people of God, he's saying, well. It's not about worshiping the created, it's the create the creator of those things. And so in our context, to worship, it is it is to bow down, it is to uh, to acknowledge the the vastness and the and the, the holiness and the wonder of God the Creator, and for us as his creation to humble ourselves, to kneel, to bow to show him his worth to us in whatever way, shape, or form is appropriate. And so that's really what worship is. It's you're, you're responding to the worth and value of God. John the Baptist maybe said it the most succinctly in John 30, verse 30. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That when we come together as God's people, that is, that is the, the number one agenda is the increase of God among us, the exaltation of God, the the like like let's make sure that we are all like on the same page about who He actually is, and from who He is, He has done all these incredible things, and we are decreasing, we are humbling ourselves, we are bowing down our lives, and we are responding to that to tell Him what He is worth to us. Unfortunately. Um, a lot of times, like in like modern day like uh, vernacular worship is sometimes limited to the music part, and like I've I've been guilty of this of course as well of saying like okay here's the here's the plan for the service we're gonna uh, we'll have some announcements we'll pray then we'll worship then there'll be the sermon then we'll worship some more and then we'll close, that kind of thing as if worship is only the time when. There's music going on and we're singing. But the Bible doesn't point to that. Um, the Bible paints a really wide picture of what worship is. In the next couple of weeks, I want to. Fo- I will like try to get us focused in on, on the music part and on some of those kind of specific responses. But for this morning, kind of approaching it more like a... Like, hey, let's let's just get a baseline, and let's make sure that we all understand that that worship is one. I'm sorry, that music is one way that we worship, but there are all kinds of ways that we can. It's not limited to music or corporate gatherings. It's really not limited at all. Um, and so, I wrote this down a couple of years ago that we we sing and we pray and we are obedient. And we sacrifice and we steward well and we ask and seek and knock. We marry each other. Sometimes we break up. Uh, We tithe. We change our major. We might do summer missions. We go to church or group. Uh, We serve. We encourage. We correct. We admonish. We love. We witness. We confess. We show up for one another. We sit with one another. Sometimes in silence, sometimes we shout, sometimes we are praising, we honor the Sabbath, we work hard, we disciple one another, we parent, we study, we rest, 
We walk out all the one another's of Scripture. All, all of these things are acts of worship. These are ways that we express to God that he is worth it to us. This is God, this is how you know your worth is that we engage in all of these forms of worship. John Piper says it this way. He says, the aim of all life is to experience and show the greatness, beauty, and worth of God. The greatness, beauty, and worth of God. Two things that we do. We experience it ourselves, and then we show his greatness. We show his beauty. We, sh- we, we show that in our worship. And I really like that, like to think of it in, in simple terms. It fits me, fits me well of like, yeah, I, I have to experience him. But then that experience, it has to work its way out. A true experience of, of that significant of a creator can't, it can't just stay in here. It has to, it has to find its way through us. And that list I just rattled off, that's just some, just, just a, cross-section of the possibilities. And so for us, we are, we are like worshipers all, all the time, not just when we're gathered together. And the worship in between the gatherings, uh, that's, we're, we're just, we're, we're, it's an overflow of, of like what, what God is doing and, and who he is to us. And when we come together, it's like this culmination of, all these people who have been worshiping God in all these different ways throughout the week. And now we get to like channel that into like, Hey, for the next 12 minutes, we're going to sing our hearts out. We're going to pull all that love and exaltation and all that experience into this one expression, this one showing to him. I think that's pretty fantastic, you know? And so we gather and we, we worship in, in unity in these specific ways, and then we scatter back out, and we worship in all these different ways until we're gathered back together again. And so we're here today, and we're going we're gonna to do our thing, and then we're going to scatter out. And some of you will worship as individuals, and some of you will, will worship in different configurations, and then you'll come together as a community group, and you'll worship in specific ways like that, and you'll scatter back out. And you may have lunch or coffee with someone and you'll worship together in, the, in that moment and you'll scatter back out. And then maybe your families are grouped together and you'll worship certain ways or friendships are grouped together certain ways. And we, we go in and out of all these different configurations between the Sundays, but it's all the time, all the time, all the time worship is happening. And Luke chapter 7, I think is a great baseline for us to... Um, to kind of have this this picture in mind of what the heart and mind of a worshiper is. Start verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And so Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, 
and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Let's stop right there. So... This is like a beautiful and terrible story at the same time, right? You have the terrible part of it, the the judgment of this Pharisee, of this woman, and of Jesus. And just the overall like snobbery of of the religious leaders. And then you have the the beauty of this woman who uh is worshiping Jesus in these really like, just incredible ways. There's, there's no singing, right? There's no, there's no background music. There's nothing like that. She's worshiping him because she is showing him his worth to her. It was customary at the time when someone entered into your home that you would have their, that you would wash their feet or have their feet washed. Certain customs that were a part of, of hospitality and welcoming someone into your home. This was the most intimate form of like community, like quality time together was at a, in, at a table in someone's home. And this woman interrupts that. She's overcome with emotion in that moment and Almost like she just doesn't even like care that other people are there. You know, it's just really, really personal. And so Jesus, I love it when those there are those moments where the Holy Spirit gives him insight. Like the Holy Spirit let him know like this this dude is judging her in their mind. So he's like, Hey, because the guy said it to himself, like he didn't say it to Jesus, and Jesus is like, Hey, I got something to say to you, brother. And uh he's like, Okay, what what do you have to say? So look at that, look at the next verse, verse. 41, Jesus says this, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many... Are forgiven, for she loved much. For he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, at first, it seems like what Jesus is saying is that, well, she has committed a lot of sins, so there's a lot of forgiveness that's come her way, so she loves me a whole lot. And that kind of feels like. Like, feels like that's what he's saying. 
And I think a part of like as people who have been taught uh, by by the world around us and just by life, we've been taught to think of sin as having like degrees. You know that some sins are worse worse than others. Uh, certainly, some sins have have more painful consequences than others, but we've kind of been taught inadvertently to make ourselves feel a little bit better about our own stuff by comparing our stuff to other people. You know? And so at first, it kind of feels like maybe he's validating that, but what he's really saying is this, is that um, you're all the ones in the story with the debt. Like, you're, you all owe a debt. She understands that. You guys do not understand that. You think that because you keep the rules and you got a title, and because you're a dude, you know, all that, you think that you're better than her. The reality is you're no different than her. You're all in debt. He's he's leveling the playing field here. And he's actually exalting her as a model for how they should look at their own lives. There are times when when it seems like at first we're like, man, Jesus, man, he's turning things upside down, you know. But I once heard someone say, actually, he's just setting things right side up. We, we, we've turned them all upside down. He's like, nope, this is how this is supposed to go. She's loving Jesus deeply in this moment because she understands forgiveness. And these Pharisees, they're, just, they're, they're not there at the, at the time. We need to be careful not to fall into the same trap that, that the Pharisees did, you know, and, to, and having kind of a spectrum on our minds of like the worst sins, the not so bad sins, all that kind of stuff, instead of recognizing that the wages of sin is death. And so uh, death is death. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your track record is. It doesn't matter what someone's. Uh, like what their rap sheet says, so to speak. It doesn't really matter your life history and all those kinds of things. Like death, dead is dead. And so it's a huge caution against like religious people in the sense that like people who are like, this is a regular part of our lives, you know, slipping into that, that thing of like, well, this really isn't that bad. This really isn't bad. Cause I, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as good as this person. I'm not as bad as that person. and All that kind of stuff. It's another one of those times where Jesus uh, uses someone who really understands what's going on to help us all see how we should, like what our perspective should be. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this. And you who, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay? So, in, like, by sinning, we are all dead. Like, that's, that's what the Bible says. And Jesus comes to offer us forgiveness, to be saved by grace through faith. And the equality of that situation is really, really important in understanding this story, but also in the living of our lives, in the gathering together of the saints. That it doesn't matter what you drag into a room. We all drag death in unless, by grace through faith, we have looked to Christ and asked him for life through forgiveness. And in that case, we drag in what, like those of us, those who used to be dead, but now we have been resurrected with him. And so you're dragging something into the room. It's either death or it's life. And if you're dragging death into the room, then I want to invite you to hear what Jesus is saying to us through the scriptures, that he will take that death and he will put his life into that and resurrect you with himself by nailing it to the cross. That offer is for you. And you don't need to leave here today without saying yes to him or asking more questions at the very, at the very least. And I'll stay here all day long talking to you about it. So please don't run out of the room as soon as we're done if that's you and you want to talk more about it. But if you have come to that point in your life where you have asked him to forgive your sin and to save you from that death and his life has resurrected you, then you are on the same ground as everyone else in this room. It doesn't matter what sin, like what killed you, you were dead. It doesn't really matter. And we have to continue to let go of that whole idea of like, like, whoever has the most baggage in the room or this and this and this and this and just realize like, hey, we all have the same story. This woman in this, in this story, her story is our story. Every single one of us. And in that like recognition, in that like kind of moment of like, man, we are a bunch of people in the same boat. It makes so much more sense when James is like, hey, y'all, let's stand, let's start to sing. Doesn't it? Like, the, the, it, Corporate worship makes sense because we're a bunch of people who have who have all come to the same place of saying, here's my debt, I can't pay it. And Jesus says, I'll forgive it. Uh, how's that sound? And we're like, yes, please, let's sing another song. Yeah. And so in this moment, she is modeling something for us. She's showing us, like to go back to what Piper said, that like she has experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, and now she is showing him what that means to her. Our word worship finds its origins in this uh, Saxon word that I can't even really pronounce because it's spelled so weird. But over time, it, it, it morphed and it became worth-ship at one point. And then they kind of dropped the middle part of it just to worship. But it's all about worth. This is your worth to me. And I feel like there are times when, when I come into a, I come into a room ready to worship, whether it's this or a community group or it could be grabbing coffee with somebody. It doesn't really matter. There are times when I'm completely dialed into that. Like I'm just like, man, I'm just going to, 
I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm now, I'm just going to do this in this conversation. I'm going to do this with this community group. Or I'm going to do this at, at church where, where I'm just like, I'm just there already. And then there are times when I have become so distracted by my life that I'm doing good just to get to the room. And what I need in that moment is I need everyone else to like remind me and like bring me along. I told the first service, I said, I was, for some reason, I was, the other day I was thinking about this like, a, like an interstate, you know. Some people are trucking along on the interstate and you're worshiping in your life in all these different ways. And others are like kind of at one of those on-ramps where you're waiting for the light to give you the green. You know, those like new weird on-ramps that we have now. No one really abides by. But you're kind of like, you're like, hey, I kind of got off the interstate. Uh, I, I need to get back on. And worship service is like, hey, come on. All the, all the lights are green. All the on-ramps are open. Just come on. We'll, we'll let you in. We won't be one of those jerks that won't let you over. We'll, we'll let you in. Come on. Let's go. That, the, that no matter where you are, there's something about being with the people of God that, that reminds you of like, oh, yeah, I'm the woman. I'm the woman in the story. But the focal point is not her sin. The focal point is her forgiveness. I'm the forgiven woman in the story who's like, if y'all are not going to love Jesus by washing his feet and doing for him all the things you're supposed to do, I'm going to do it because it will not go undone. He will not go unworshipped. He will not go unhonored. That's not going to happen. You know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful picture of worship, I, I believe. And in an incredible way that I think God can help us like think like, yeah, this is, this is the heart of a worshiper. It's the mindset of a worshiper. This is someone, uh, not that what John Piper says is law, but to, just to borrow that phrasing, this is someone who's experienced something and is ready to show it to him. Look at verse, look at verse 48. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Those last few verses contain your story and my, and my story. Like if you are in Christ, if you have received that forgiveness, this, that's our story. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That is our experience. And when we come together in corporate worship, we have this really beautiful opportunity to show that to him, to express that to him, to join all of our hearts and our minds and to unite under some of the same things. We're going to read the same verses. We're going to pray along the same lines in terms of prayer. We're going to sing the same lyrics at the same time. And like we're, we're going to like channel in that worship because in a few minutes, we're going to bless one another and we're going to go. We're going to scatter back out. But while we are together, we're recognizing the solidarity we have with this woman in the story. That we had a debt we could not pay, and Jesus came and forgave the debt. And not only that, but infused his life into ours. And says, you are forgiven by grace through faith. All right, so go in peace. And so if we're going to worship together, we ha- this is like this is where it has to come from. It has to come from that 
that understanding. So the next few weeks, maybe one week, we'll focus a lot more on the we'll focus on the music part, and the, kind of have a kind of a course plotted, you know. But wanted today to kind of have a baseline of like, okay, what is it, what does it mean? And to think about this woman pushing past all the all the cultural taboos, not worried about what these men think of her. Just saying, in this moment, I've got what I've experienced. I, I got to let it out. Not making this about herself. She made it about him. That he would increase. She would decrease. So what we're going to do. We put a little more music after the sermon today. Because it seemed like it would fit. We're going to have a little more space to do that. There's even more physical space in the room. The back of the rooms are, are kind of open. And if you just need to get alone somewhere. That's great. I didn't want to like rush rush through too much. And so we're going to sing some songs that you can sing, you can pray, you can stand, you can sit, you can come kneel down here. You can do what you need to do as we together uh, express what we have experienced to the Lord, making him increase as we decrease. So I'm not going to stand you up. Sometimes you do that. I'm just going to let you sit for right now. You stand whenever you want to. How about that? That's freedom right there, right? But I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Let me pray for us as they do. And when it's time to sing, you can stand and sing. You can do whatever you want to do in these moments. Lord, I thank you for this, this lady in the story. And I hate how... Humiliating this may have been for her in that context, but I love how she just didn't care about that at all. And I can't wait to meet her on your new earth and tell her how much I appreciate her story. I pray that you help us this morning to recognize that her story and our story are no different. The details may vary, but the fundamental parts of the plot are all there. She had a debt she couldn't pay. She looked to you, Jesus, to pay it, and you did. And so in these next few moments, as we sing or just respond in different ways, God, would would you help us to really explore the depths of that, to, to really sink deeply into what we have experienced in you, in your grace and your mercy, the fact that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That we share her story. And that story has been duplicated over and over and over again. And there's always room for more. And so in these moments, God, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. May you be honored as we look to have you continue to increase.